Good morning, Cross Point. Children, you can be released for Children's Church. And then if everyone else would turn with me this morning to Romans chapter 12. So this is our final week before we jump into next Sunday. We're going to be starting the story of God, which you've heard me share about and talk about. And even this present series is kind of preparing for that, that the the story of God has two main focuses. The first is to lay a solid foundation in our life to, to understand and believe all that God has for us from Genesis to Revelation. And then in so doing, to be able to equip us to walk with others on that same journey to see Jesus in all of Scripture. And so I want to encourage you, if you haven't already, be sure on your way out to pick up the Scripture journal. The way that this is going to work is even this week, it has just a brief introduction for the series. And then this week, I would encourage you to do the first reading. So this is beginning in Genesis 1-1. There's a short write-up, and then there's the journal part, where it's using what we're calling the road Bible study method. It talks about that uh, in here in the earlier pages, or you can go back and, and listen to the first message where I explain that more fully. But I would encourage you to do that before next Sunday when we begin this journey together so that you're familiar uh, with that passage. Also, just as a reminder, if you do want any of the, like the t-shirts <laughs> that I wanted to order, today's the last day for that. So be sure uh, to order that because I'm placing that uh, tomorrow morning. So for the past three weeks, two weeks, and then today, we've been looking at three key elements for discipleship. Like this is a discipleship journey. So what are the three elements that are absolutely necessary in this journey of discipleship. The first that we said is God's word. Like this isn't about my opinion. This isn't about my thoughts, my beliefs, and trying to push them onto you. This is about God's inspired word that said it is breathed out by God. And if we remember that that picture, that it's like teaching us. And then when, when we get off course, it rebukes us. And then it brings us back around and it brings correction and then trains us in the way we should go. Like this God's word is breathed out, and this is what together we are surrendering to. It is absolutely essential if we want to be Christ-like that we are surrendered to his words, not the traditions of man. The second thing is we need God's word and we need God's spirit. We cannot understand spiritual things apart from the spirit of God that we talked about last week. Like at the moment of salvation, We receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit, that he is called a a paraclete, one who comes alongside, that he is with us and he is in us. He's the one who encourages, who counsels, who teaches, who reminds us of all that Christ has taught. We cannot understand the word of God apart from the spirit of God. So that raises my question then this morning. If you're here and you're like, yes, I have believed in Jesus Christ. I believe he is who he says he is as the son of God. I believe he died on the cross, being perfect, taking our punishment and covering us in his righteousness. And three days later, he rose again. I have the Holy Spirit who is with me, who's teaching me, who's reminding me. I have God's word. So why do I need you? Like, why do you need me up here? Why do you need the person sitting next to you? 
It's a question that gets asked often. The question is, how do we answer that? Is God insufficient? Is the Holy Spirit insufficient in our life that we would need one another? That's what we're going to be looking at in Romans chapter 12. And so I want to invite you to stand with me as I pray for us. And then I'm going to be reading Romans 12, 3 through 18. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this time this morning. I thank you for your word that is true, that it teaches us, it it, it corrects, it trains us in righteousness, Lord, that I can stand up here and I'm not just saying things that are my opinion, Lord, but we're looking at your word. And Lord, as we open it, as we read it, we realize we cannot understand it on our own. And so would you give us understanding to your word? Would you transform our thinking according to your truth? And Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans 12, beginning in verse 3. For the, by, by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts, if prophecy, using it according to the proportion of one's faith, if service, use it in service, if teaching, in teaching, if exhorting, in exhortation, giving, with generosity, leading, with diligence, showing mercy, with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy, detest evil, cling to what is good, Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Do not lack diligence in zeal. Be fervent in the Spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, instead associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful, thought to, to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes and if possible, as far as it depends on you. Live at peace with everyone. This is God's word. You can be seated. So, the question before us this morning, why do we need one another? If we have God's word and God's spirit, why do we need this? Why do you need the person sitting next to you? But so often, I don't know if you've heard, but but I've heard like, I don't need anybody else. This is something personal. My faith is personal. It's between me and God. I don't need some institution telling me what to believe or or what to do. All I need is just me and the Bible, and I'm fine. 
I can be and make disciples on my own. But the question is, is this true? If we say that all we need is is God's word and the Holy Spirit, then we should be saying, what does God's word tell us? Does it say that's all we need? Or does it say that there's more? Because today's passage is going to challenge our understanding of that independent streak that I believe we can all have that can say it's just me and God. And how we think about these things, what what we think in our minds matter. And that's what I want us to see in here. Like even in the verse before what I read today in verse 3, look at verse 2. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and the perfect will of God. It means don't be conformed by, by what you see on TikTok or YouTube. Don't be conformed by what you watch on Fox News or, or CNN. Don't be conformed to the patterns and the thinking of this world, but, but be transformed. Have your minds transformed to what God says, because then you're going to understand what he wants. And then look at what it says. For the by grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Now it's talking about our minds. We need a renewed mind to say, how then should I see myself? In this journey of discipleship, how should we see ourselves? And it tells us, don't think too highly of yourselves. The question, sometimes the way we see ourselves, the graphics on this are terrible this week. Just go with me. I'm sorry. I'm just going to say that up front. But we have this picture of us. The Holy Spirit is with us. Beside us, the Holy Spirit is in us. That's what I'm trying to represent there. This is, (laughs) it gets worse, trust me, okay? This is how we see ourselves individually. I'm saved, I have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's with me. And then we come to the part, why do I need others? Is God insufficient? Absolutely not. God is 100% sufficient in every way. The question is not, is God sufficient? and I need God plus me or you or anyone else, the question is, am I sufficient? Do I think myself so wise, so capable, so intelligent, that the vast magnitude of God is confined to my brain? Like, have you seen these things lately? Of like these these large Stanley cups, right? That that are everywhere. And, and I see it. No, some people are like, no. I, I feel like I'm seeing it everywhere. And then like I see these videos of like these guys carrying big trash cans with a broom, kind of making fun of these huge cups. And I'm laughing at it while I have this huge Yeti cup filled with water, you know, but it's not Stanley or whatever. So but imagine this. Imagine you have this large vessel, like the, the biggest, like the big gulp thing of that you can contain. And people are like, you're insane. Why do you have that much water? And then they think it's too big. And then you walk up to the ocean and you're like, I'm going to contain all the waters of the Atlantic in my extra large Stanley cup. And people would think you a fool. It can't be. That can only hold a measure. And even if you scoop it out of the ocean, you wouldn't even note it. It's a finite amount. 
And this is what I want us to see. In the same way, God is vast. He is holy and majestic beyond what we could even fathom. And he fills us completely and he is fully sufficient. But don't think yourself greater than you are. I tell you, everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Don't think yourself so great that you have it all figured out. Don't think yourself so wise that that there aren't any questions yet. Don't think yourself so wise that God fits into the neat glass box that you have placed him in. We can know him and understand him, and there is a, a body at work. The Holy Spirit is with us and in us. But here's what I want us to see. We are also in Christ together. Look at how this continues. Instead, think sensibly. Again, this renewing of the mind, have our mind and our thinking transformed by the reality of God's word. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. God has given each of us a measure of faith, complete, sufficient for salvation, and yet unique in how it works itself out in how we are gifted. God is infinite in his wisdom and holiness. I just want us to like have this in our mind. God is absolutely holy and infinite and bigger than anything we can imagine. Don't think ourselves so highly that we have it all figured out, but we can know him according to his word. And he gives a measure of faith uniquely to each person, it says. He's distributed a measure of faith to each one. And now it says that now as we have many parts in one body and all the parts do not have the same function, like we think about this, like I become more and more aware of this as I'm getting older, like even in looking this up, it's like I have 15 feet of intestines in me, is what science would say. I've never measured it, but that's what I hear. But you think, okay, there's, there's two hands, there's two arms, two legs, two feet, 10 fingers, 10 toes. Like I have all these parts. And now as I'm getting older, I need to see specialists for certain ones. Like I just saw my cardiologist. So it's like, okay, I have one heart, but all these things have to work together and you have to see a different doctor for each one because they each have a unique function in the body, and so they specialize, but all of them have to work together. This is is what Paul's saying. Look, we have all of these different parts, but they don't have the same function. And then in verse 5, in the same way, we who are many are one body. We who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of it. Now, this is where the graphic gets bad, and I don't know if you're going to be able to see this. The idea here, just be patient, I know. The body is the body of Christ. All the little people in it are you and me. This, though poorly represented, is more accurate to the biblical side than just seeing there's me. There's the Holy Spirit with me. There's the Holy Spirit in me, and it's all about me, and I have it all figured out. 
where in reality, all of that's true, yes. Now zoom out a little bit and we realize that we are all together part of the singular body of Christ. That's the biblical idea. And each of us have been given a measure of faith that works itself out in a gifting that's different from one another. And so the things that I can do and the things that you can do are vastly different. These gifts differ based on the measured faith that we received. It doesn't mean that some people have more faith or less faith or more of the Holy Spirit or less of the Holy Spirit. We have a fullness of what we need. But it's different in how it expresses itself among the body is different. And then it lists some of those ways. So then we see, according to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. Do you see that? So that measured faith, according to the grace that has been given to us individually, we have different gifts. And then it lists some of those out. If prophecy, if service, if teaching, this list is not exhaustive. If you compare all the different passages in the Bible that talk about different spiritual gifts, there's over 17. And I don't even know that that's exhaustive. And I don't want us to get hung up, okay, what does this one mean? And what does that one mean? The point is how they function in the body. So look at this. If prophecy, it says, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. It means if it's, if God gives a word, don't just add to it. Like, don't go beyond what God has called you to say. If teaching, it kind of seems a little redundant when you first read it. Like, if teaching, teach. If exhortation, you know, if it's exhortation, then exhort one another. But think about what this means. What can happen with our gifts if teaching? You can sit in the library and you can learn and learn all you want and yet never step into a classroom and actually teach. If exhortation, you might have an idea of what's right or wrong, but you fear man more than God, and so you sit in silent judgment of others and never speak what God has put onto your heart. You may feel like, yes, be generous and yet never give. And yet God has blessed you abundantly. It may be called to leading, and and yet you're lazy and diligent and fearful. In in service, use that gift to, to serve others, not just serve yourself or serve your own needs. But the point of each of these gifts had an outworking for the good of the body as a whole. It's not meant to be just self-serving. It's not meant to be in judgment. So often I have seen in the church where if you recognize a weakness in a church, oftentimes that is a very place where God has gifted you. And you have a choice then. You can stand in judgment against the church. They're terrible at this. Or you can take it as a calling. God has gifted me and brought me here to maybe step into this body and strengthen them in this area. Because I have something to offer. And I need something from them. And now it's the body working together in health. This is the way that that it's oftentimes is. We need 
each other to fully experience all that God has for us. Like, this is a humbling thought. Isn't it? That I don't have everything I need. None of us likes to admit that. So many of us, we would love to help other people, but God forbid we need to ask for help. Right? We don't want to be that vulnerable. We, we don't want to impose on somebody. We make all kinds of excuses. It all comes back to pride. I'm preaching to myself here, so don't like, I'm not like, I feel this in me. There are gifts that are not expressed through me as the pastor. Like, I believe that that my gifts are, are, are in teaching and, and leadership and shepherding. But I'm not good at a lot of stuff. And anybody who like knows me knows not to give me details, and especially on a Sunday, because I'm going to forget. Like There's all sorts of weaknesses I have that do not serve this body well. I don't have all the answers. I don't have all the gifts to, to, to lead out front in every area. That's not what I'm called to, and that's not what this church needs. What we need to understand is that each of us has been given, distributed a measure of faith from God to work together for the good of the whole. And when we do that together, then we will be healthy. And if it's all based on me or it's all based on you, God help us. Because we will not be healthy. But as we see that I don't have everything I need. Like even for for me, I need people speaking into my life. Like last summer when I was able to take the sabbatical, I had a pastoral counselor. There's advice that I've given numerous times that I've set and counseled people about helping to apply the gospel to our lives. And as I sat there talking with him, I needed him to speak those truths into my life. Because for whatever reason, I have a hard time hearing my own voice. And so when it comes to the reality of who I am in Christ as his son, that, that I am forgiven, that I'm made whole, that my identity's in him, I can't hear my own voice speak those truths often. I need other people to speak these truths that I declare to others, but I need also spoken into my life. We need that in one another's life. We need one another speaking truth that I know you know, that you know I know, but I forget, and it's hard for my heart to believe it all the time. And so we speak it into one another's life with hope and joy and conviction. There's aspects of who God is that he wants to show you through someone else. Think about that. This year, as we go through this journey, if you go through it alone, if you're like, okay, I got me, I got my Bible, I got the Holy Spirit, I'm good, thanks, I have my reading plan, and you just go off and you try to do it by yourself, you are going to miss aspects that God wants you to see about who he is if you disengage from the body as a whole. If you come and listen and then leave, 
if you only watch online and, and, and never engage in community, there will be aspects that you will miss. And there's aspects that we will miss by your absence. There are things for you to receive from others, and there are things for you to give to others. And if you disengage from that process, you lose and we lose. Does that make sense? Like, there's an aspect here. Now, here's the thing. It goes on in verse 9 to describe the relationship between us. Like as individuals connected in the body of Christ, in our relationship to one another. We see this kind of playing out. If you want a big picture, it's interesting. First Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 are kind of like the novel version of Romans 12. Romans 12 is like the summary. It's, it's the abbreviation. The first letter that when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians first, chapter 12 is, is kind of talking about the diversity of gifts in one body. Chapter 14 in 1 Corinthians is talking about how those work out in the body. And right in the middle is 1 Corinthians 13, which so often we can take and apply to different things of the love chapter. Love is kind and gentle, does not envy. But that is right in the middle of 12 and 13, uh, 12 and 14. That whole section needs to go together. Love is, is seen as the, the, I had one professor call it the central nervous system of the body. I often think about it like a cartilage between bones. Like my dad had ger- de- degenerative arthritis in, in his back where the cartilage like goes away and then it's just bone on bone. And and you kind of can feel that, right? When you think about it. And sometimes that's how Christians are next to each other. When you don't have the gospel in between, you don't have the cartilage. That's what love is intended to be. When we think about who we are in Christ, that's why, I don't know if this is up on the screen, then it's like the orange in the background that's supposed to remind us we're in the body of Christ. Then you have believers next to each other. And then that space in between is the gospel being applied. It's that gospel cartilage. It's the ligament. It's what holds us together. This is then how we are called to relate to one another. There's 10 characteristics I'm going to highlight. The reality is there's like 25. Some of these I combined. Like There's a lot here. I'm going to kind of conclude by looking at 10 aspects of how we as a body are to relate to one another. I would encourage you, as an application this week, to meditate on verses 9 through 21 and to ask yourself two questions. The first is, which of these is God convicting me of to express more faithfully? So in this list, read through it. Allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart and ask, which of these is God leading me to express more faithfully? The second question would be this, which of these is kind of standing out as a need in my life? There's a felt need to experience this, to understand where we're at together as a community, 
to understand what it means to live out the reality of these truths that we think differently. We have our thinking transformed by the renewing of our mind. So we're thinking differently. We're not thinking too highly of ourselves. We're thinking sensibly. Great. So our, our minds are being transformed. Now, how are we living differently in response to what is declared to be true? These are some of the things that are mentioned. I have 10 descriptions. Again, the more I go over this, I'm like, yeah, anyway, there's a lot more. <laughs> Let love be without hypocrisy. Let love be without hypocrisy. True Christian love sincerely cares and honestly shares our joys and our sorrows. Last week after the service, I asked someone how they were doing, you know, that common question, and the response was awful. It's not what you expect to hear at church, right? But you're immediately drawn in. I was so appreciative of the reality of that. Like, it's been hard. There's hard things happening. There was an authenticity and, and an honesty there. Now, here's the thing. I'm not saying that, that when we have the, the, the greeting time during the, the start of the service that you need to go up to, to like a new guest and be like, my life is a tragedy right now. How are you? Like, but, but my question is this, who are you telling? And when are you telling them that? There needs to be someone. When, when we're not being hypocrites and we're not just saying everything's fine and everything's good, where we're being real and sharing life with one another, and when times are hard and times are good, are we letting love be without hypocrisy or are we trying to cover it up so that we appear better than we are? Let love be without hypocrisy and detest evil, cling to what is good. These are strong, strong words. To detest evil is to hate something exceedingly. Like that's the strength of this word. And the reality is if we love one another, we're going to protect one another from outside evil. Love doesn't mean that we don't call things evil. Like there's this belief today, like love covers all and, and there's no bad because love makes everything good. But true love is going to say, this will bring harm and this will bring life. And I want you to be protected from that. And it detests what is evil. And it clings. It means it's like super glue, like the quick drying super glue when your fingers stick together to cement something together. Cling to what is good. That in our relationships with one another, let us pursue what is good. Let us detest what is evil. Let's not call sin righteousness. Let's pursue God in faithfulness. Let us call evil what is evil and let us call good what is good. The third, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. See, it, it, here's the interesting thing with this. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. It's using this idea of brotherly love, but it's also acknowledging that we are now family. That's why it's saying that as brothers and sisters, there's an application. And this was completely countercultural at the time. And in Rome, this was calling servants and, and migrant workers and, and the wealthy and the, 
the locals and the foreigners and it's saying, look, we are one family. Love one another like brothers and sisters, regardless of your background, regardless of where you come from. We are now family. Love one another like family. When you think of brothers and sisters, sometimes there's bickering and sometimes there's fighting, but but you always pray that there's this bond. They're with you forever. Like this is family. And it's saying love one another like that. Let that be, let the gospel be expressed to love one another like family. To take the lead, number four, in, in honoring one another. This was another thing that, that was countercultural, that there's no higher or lower. It's not like when it comes like, oh, we have the pastor and then we have like these other people or anything like that. Like there's an equality at the foot of the cross. We are here. The what's called the institution of the church is a derogatory way of saying this is the body of Christ here on earth. We try to say, people who try to distance themselves, say it's all this this man-made thing. The church was created by God, not man, to express his glory here on earth. When Jesus ascended to heaven, establishing the church, this is why we plant churches. It is an expression of the body of Christ in a local community that is part of a universal global reflection of his body here on earth to serve and love and proclaim the gospel of Christ. This was created by God. It is his bride. It's not an institution, a machine, a mechanism. This is the bride of Christ for which he shed his blood and he will one day return to call his own. It is not to to be ignored. It is not to be diminished. Are we perfect? Absolutely not. Has the church made mistakes? Yes. And this is why Christ had to, to die and be crucified on the cross to redeem sinners like you and me. Imperfect declared perfect by Christ because we are not. And so we admit when we're wrong. We fall on our knees in dependence on God and we seek to love and serve one another. Take the lead in in honoring one another. Do not lack diligence. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Do you see the intensity here? This is why I'm excited about this year. Let us not become lazy. God commissioned the church to go and make disciples. That's what this year is all about. It is to reset our hearts and vision, to lay a foundation in our life and equip the church to do what God has called us to do. Let us be diligent to do that. Let us not be lazy. Let us not. We don't know when Christ is returning. It could be any moment, any day, who might come to faith in the next year, two years. That's why we're here. Let us be diligent. Let us be fervent, not in our own strength, but in the spirit. Remember that passage I talked about last week? I think it's in 
in Acts 4, Lord, let us proclaim the gospel with all boldness while your spirit moves powerfully. That's what I'm praying. Let us be diligent in that. Let us be fervent in the spirit. There is an aim to all this in serving God. This is not about cross point. This is not about me. This is about being faithful to what God has commanded us to do. And it's simply a call. How do we be faithful to what he's calling us to? It's as simple as that. To rejoice, number six, in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. I love this. This is where it's like, okay, I broke all of these up and and put them into one. To rejoice in hope. If things are going well, if you look at life and you're like, I taste the sweetness of this moment in life, give glory to God. Recognize that this is from him. Rejoice in the Lord. And if you're going through affliction, if you're like, yeah, times aren't going great, times are hard. There's this call to persistence. We realize that life moves in seasons. What is hard today may not be in a year from now. So don't lose sight of God. Be persistent. Keep your eyes fixed on him. Be persistent in prayer. What this says to me is prayer is communicating an active dependence upon God. Right? So if things are going great, depend on God. Give him Give him the glory. Rejoice. If things are hard, be persistent in prayer. Be patient. Be persistent. It won't always be like this. God is with you. Do you see that this is the call for one another as we relate to one another, what we're calling each other to? To share with the saints in their need. Pursue hospitality. These two clear ways. Again, this is why there's like so many in these verses. Pray through, pick one that God's placing on your heart. Share with the saints in their needs. This idea of needs inherently in the original language is talking about financial needs. You see someone who has a financial need? There's a this willingness towards financial generosity to open up your wallet and bank account and help give towards that need. Not just through the church, not just give a tie. This is you see somebody else in the church, you help them out. This is a a relationship between the community and how we relate to one another. This means knowing the need, which means you've shared the need, which can be hard. I've been on both the giving and the receiving end of people's generosity. It's humbling to receive. And yet there was absolutely deep gratefulness in that. Pursue hospitality. This is merely opening your front door to invite people to share a meal, to open up your home, <coughs> sorry, together. I'm so grateful that my wife really helped us in this area when we were newly married. I kind of saw the home as a place to retreat to, and ministry was out there. We were early in ministry, and home was here. And she challenged that thinking that has shaped our family tremendously over the years to say, no, our home is a place of ministry. And it makes so much sense, because sometimes our lives get busy, and you're like, oh, one more program, go and do one more thing. And it feels like too much, but the reality of like, 
I'm going to come home and I'm going to sit down and have a meal and I can share my life with someone else. That's not another program. That's sharing of, of a life together. And it says to pursue hospitality. It's not just going to happen. And so if you're sitting there and you're like, nobody's ever invited me over. Well, rather than just passively waiting, pursue hospitality. This is one of the things I'm going to call us to, even in the coming month. Again, I've done this multiple times, but in the month of February, I want to encourage you, invite someone either to your home or out to eat to get to know them, someone that you don't know as well, and pursue hospitality. What if we just like did that? Because it tells us to. And we may not even understand right now why it's good for us, but we trust that it is. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and and do not curse. This description is interesting from the rest because so many of them are talking about how we relate to one another. But this also seems it changes the way we relate to people outside who are are persecuting. And And it changes the way we relate to everyone because we're letting the gospel be be that cartilage, that nervous system that's transforming the way we relate to one another in Christ. Rejoice with those who rejoice and and weep with those who weep. It's interesting because I don't know if you're like me, this is familiar. Like I read this and I'm like, okay, weep with those who weep or rejoice with those who rejoice. And you can kind of just move on. But I'm like, why is this important? And if you just stop to think about it for a moment, to rejoice with someone else means it doesn't matter how things are going for you right now. And so when someone else is experiencing success, I'm having to lay the comparisons aside. I'm having to lay aside the, the jealousy. I'm having to, to lay aside my own feelings and want to rejoice because of God's provision in this person's life. The same for, for to weep with those who weep. Like that can be hard. Because what can happen is when we we see somebody lamenting, they're grieving, they're experiencing loss, for most of us, we get very uncomfortable, right? It's just like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I just kind of want to make it stop so we can talk about something else. And in our unease, we want to cover that up. And so that's when you get the shallow platitudes of, hey, everything's going to be all right. Jesus works everything out for good. I'll pray for you. Bye. And we skedaddle. Because we're uncomfortable, because we're uncomfortable with their sorrow. And this is saying to lay all of that aside. Lay aside our uncomfortableness. And to enter into and weep with someone who's weeping. There is this laying aside of ourselves as we step toward one another. To live in harmony with one another, not proud, associate with the humble, not wise and oneself, not retaliatory. Like the list goes on and on and on. And so I want to encourage you in three ways in in closing. How do we respond to all of this? I want to have in our minds to start with our thinking. To not think so highly of yourself to think that you can take this journey alone. 
and you're going to have it all figured out. But rather to have your thinking be sensible and transformed by God that we have a measure of faith that works itself out uniquely for the good of others. And I need others as part of my life in this journey. We are codependent by God's design as an expression of his glory. And this is for our good, and this brings him glory. So a couple ways, practically, that I want to encourage you to take a step in this direction. One is super simple. Next Sunday, after the service, once a month, we have a potluck. The theme is Italian. We're going to get to have John Duels. I think he's helping with the kids. Pizza. Now he has a reason to make the pizza, right? Stay for that. They, these times, it's not just the purpose of them is to connect with one another. And I also want to encourage you in that, don't just sit with the people you know and that you normally sit with. Look for the people that you may not know as well, right? Because you know that feeling when it's like, I don't know where to sit. It's like you're back in school holding the lunch tray and you don't know where to sit. Like it can be uncomfortable. I don't want to go back to the that time. So just realize some people have that feeling and I don't want them to feel that way. So can, can we be kind and look for people? I'm going to be sitting with the elementary kids because they have a whole list of questions for me that I'm going to be answering that were incredible. Um, so I'm having to do a lot of study actually this week to answer their very challenging questions. So I'm sitting with the elementary kids to answer their questions next Sunday. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, is get connected to a community group. It's one thing to come on a Sunday morning. And we don't always have that opportunity to say, yeah, things are awful right now. But community group is the place where that can be said. It's a place where I'm so thankful for our community group, where there's laughter and there's tears almost every week in sharing life together. Community groups are 10 to 15 people that meet in homes throughout the city. I think there's seven different groups. There's a QR code where you can sign up if you're not in a community group. Um, but this is a place where we're going to be going through the story of God together, where I'm wanting us to individually be reading the passages, journaling our thoughts, and then sharing with one another. And that's the whole thing that we're doing. We're not asking questions about the sermon. We're saying, what has God shown you in the text? What does God's word say? How are you experiencing this? Where are you at in life and praying for one another, caring for one another around God's word? If you're not connected there, this is a great place to get connected, to take that step. Join us for lunch. That's super easy. You just get to eat. Get connected in the community group. I know that can be a little bit more of an investment because you're showing up at a stranger's house potentially. We want it. We'll help you um, make that connection. The final thing is, is pursue the hospitality. In the month of February, I want to encourage everyone to prayerfully consider how you can pursue hospitality that month with one person, one family. How can you open up your life to share that with another within the church? Let's do that and let's see what God does with it. My hope and prayer as we prepare this journey together is that we would have hearts surrendered to God's word together. 
that we wouldn't rely on our own understanding or knowledge, but we would be dependent on the Holy Spirit for His power to be at work in us, and that we would trust one another, that we would see God do things in our midst that are bigger than any one of us. So for some, that's going to be stepping in more fully. For others, it means you're going to have to be vulnerable and open up a little bit more to share your life. Prayerfully consider how is God challenging and inviting you to step into the reality of what he has for us in this coming year. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. Lord, for the reality of what this means, there's part of me that kind of just wishes it could just be me and you. And it's harder when you have to trust others and we've been let down or hurt. And yet we've also seen the beauty of the body working together, different parts and functions, being part of something that's, that's bigger than ourselves. And yet fear and pride can work their way in. And Lord, I, I pray that you would humble our hearts before you. I pray that you would draw us together as your body. Lord, that you would allow the, the cartilage between us to be the love as described in these verses. Lord, help us, not in our own strength, not in our own willpower. Lord, but, but by your spirit working in us, help this to be a reality. Let us step back and say, look at what God's done, because it's bigger than any of us. Lord, would you do this work in our life? Lord, we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.